In a few minutes, we're going to get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And the title of tonight's message is Loving and Living the Truth. Do you guys love the truth? And we're doing our best to live the truth. And if we love the truth and if we live the truth, there will be consequences. There could be good consequences and there could be bad consequences, but there will be consequences for living the truth. Now, this church in Thessalonica is a pretty young church, and a lot of the churches in the New Testament have a lot of problems. This church does not have a lot of internal problems, but this church has some external problems. There is pressure. There is persecution coming from the outside. And I don't know why, but this church, uh, you know, some people wonder, why does persecution come? We're following God. We're doing everything that we're supposed to be doing. Why are we facing this pressure? Uh, there's no major sin in the church. There's no major problems. Why are we facing this resistance? And I know that this church is not facing resistance because, they're, because they dress different. They're not being picked on because they like to eat weird foods or anything like that. Uh, you know, sometimes... When kids go to school, they get picked on for some reason. It could be that they wore a funny shirt or they brought a smelly sandwich to school. Who knows why kids uh, pick on someone else. But they're not facing this pressure or persecution because of anything silly like that. They're certainly not facing persecution because they're doing whatever the world wants and trying to make everyone happy and just being peacemakers. That's not why we see that they're facing resistance. Uh, we're going to see in this passage that we're going to read in a few minutes that even though they're facing this persecution and this resistance, they are bringing glory to God. And when we face resistance and persecution in the church and in our lives, we can use that as an opportunity to bring glory to God. And this church is not just bringing glory to God on Sundays. It's not just about coming to a worship service and worshiping God, even though that's part of it. It extends to our family life, to our personal life. In every area of our life, we have an opportunity to bring glory to God. And wherever we are, in our workplace, in our home, we have the opportunity to expand the kingdom of God and to bring Him glory. But you guys are holding your Bible, and we're going to read this in a second. Um, but if we read the Bible, if we love the Bible, and if we live it out, the world will not be happy with us. Nobody is going to give you a pat on the back for following the difficult teachings that Jesus has to give us. The world doesn't think that marriage should be between a man and a woman. The world doesn't believe that the world was created. They think we came from monkeys. The world doesn't believe we should honor our mother and father. They do definitely don't want to acknowledge that Christ is king. Of course, the world out there, they want to make their own rules. They want to be their own God. They want to live life the way they want to. So we can't be surprised if we are ostracized for believing the truth of God's word. And that's where this church finds themselves. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 through 20. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 13 through 20. We'll read this and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. 
And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind. Verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So in this passage, we see that Christians are standing on the truth of the word of God. They loved the truth and were living the truth out. And this passage gives us a picture or an idea of what our life might look like if we live out the truth of his word. I'm going to read verse 13 again, and we're going to kind of look at this a little bit closer. Again, verse 13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. All of us in our life at some point or another have had to decide whether to accept or reject God's word. For some of us, Maybe this was easy, this wasn't hard, but for some of us, this was difficult. Maybe it's still difficult for you today to receive it as the word of God and to put it as the ultimate standard in your life. But this is what we are called to do. This is what real believers do, is we receive the word of God and accept it, every part of it, no matter what. And we don't believe it because it's tradition or because our parents believed it. We believe it because it is the words that come from the living God. As this verse says, these are not the words of man. If a friend tells you something or gives you some advice, uh, maybe sometimes you listen to them and, and sometimes you don't. But a lot of times we just say, okay, thank you, that was nice. I'll think about that and chew on that for a second. But we cannot do that with the word of God. This is on another level. This is directly from God, from his mouth, and we must take it and apply it, and believe it, and live it out in our life. You know, during the conference, we talked about how the Word of God has authority. And there was different sessions about uh, reforming the way we think in our family life, and how we spend our time, and prayer, and worship, and life in the church. We cannot look at this book as a suggestion. This is not giving us some proverbs or principles for, or good advice for one thing or another, but it is absolutely and totally complete and perfect for living out a life of righteousness in Christ. You know, these aren't, these aren't fables. These aren't Disney stories. These are not the words of men. These are the words of God. So we must listen. We can't receive some of the words and ignore others. We can't just pick out the parts we like. We must listen and obey all of it. 
The Bible says all of it is for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I think during the conference it was also mentioned we cannot be embarrassed by the Bible. Too many Christians, especially the church, are embarrassed by what the Word of God says. But when we go out and we boldly proclaim the Word of God, the world will listen if we ourselves actually believe what the Word of God says. So us as Christians today, we must first submit to His Word. Hebrews 4.12 is a great verse about the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12. And it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God commands and directs the way we live. It's like a sword cutting into our hearts and lives. The Word of God saves us. It sanctifies us. It examines our thoughts and intentions. It builds us up at a supernatural level. Human wisdom cannot do this. Human wisdom ignores the Word of God. And today, instead of obeying the Word of God, people want to create their own reality. They want to say that God did not make the world. Why is that important? Because if God didn't make the world, he has nothing to say to us about how to live our lives. So it's being taught in the school that we're an accident, that there is no purpose, that you can make your own reality of what you want it to be. But we know that every part of God's word is true. He designed the world perfectly. Marriage is between a man and a woman. He created the world. God's word is perfect, all of it from beginning to end. And we, as his creation, are, have no right to question it. So true believers follow and obey the word of God completely. We aren't ashamed of it. We love the truth and we obey it. It's working in our life, as that verse in Hebrew says. It's doing the work it was designed to do, it changes us and makes us more like Jesus. And if we are willing to speak the word of God, it has that authority and that power that will do the work that we cannot do. It will speak to our city. It will speak to the nations. It has power. These are not just anecdotes. These are not wise saying. These are not words that men made up. It's not something that just might be helpful or good for this or that, but it is the absolute truth, and we can share it confidently with our friends and our neighbors and those in our life. And some people might say, what does this look like? What does it look like to love the truth and to live the truth? Verse 14 gives us another way of how we can see this in action, and it says one thing we can do is look at the examples of other believers in our life. So, 1 Thessalonians 2, 14, again it says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So in this verse, we see that they imitate the believers in Judea. And it's important that we have godly examples in our life. And that's why it's so important to be in church, to be around more mature believers. We can live out the Christian life because we have seen others do it. We follow their example. There are godly teachers that we can listen to, that we can follow, that we can see their example. 
And also, just like we can watch others, we may not realize that there are people watching us. You have kids, grandkids, who are trying to imitate you. And so as we follow Jesus, we want to make sure we're setting a good example to read his word, to not just love the truth, not just say it's a good idea, but do our best to follow it, to live it out every day. There are people, our neighbors, our coworkers, there are people watching us. And in that verse, in verse 14, it says to imitate the churches that are in Judea. So if you look at a map, sometimes you have maps in the back of your Bible. Judea includes Jerusalem, where the first church started. And so in a way, they are copying the original church. They are doing what Christians in the first church were doing and looking at their example. And just as there was suffering in the church in Thessalonica, we know there was much persecution in Jerusalem with those first Christians. And no matter what, just like this church, they believed the word of God in Judea, and he's calling this church to do the same. And we must take, as this church did, we must take the word of God seriously. We must follow it no matter what pressure from the outside, no matter what our culture says is right or wrong, we must stand strong during times of pressure and look at those who have come before us. Uh, one example I look to for somebody who has taken God's word seriously is Leonard Coote. Leonard Coote is the founder of this church. He founded this church in 1941. Before and after that time, he was a missionary to Japan. And I'm sure we've read this in church before, but Leonard Coote has a famous vow that he kind of made his life saying or mission. And his vow is, it's about the Bible, about God's word. It says, sink or swim, do or die, failure or success, whether it means the creation of enemies or the loss of friends. I vow to read and reread the word of God daily, and I'm going to make my life an exact duplicate of the Bible in action. Isn't that an amazing life motto that he had? There are people that have come before us that have followed his word and obey it, and we know that it's possible for us. He was faithful to them, and he will be faithful to us today. Even though this church was going through difficult times, we know that we will be brought through. We are in a struggle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Jesus, of course, we know, has won the victory on the cross. He is victorious. He is ruling and reigning now. We've learned this over the last season as we've changed our church name to Christ is King. But not everyone has submitted to Jesus as their Lord and Savior today. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it hasn't happened yet, obviously, right? We can see that as we go outside the door in the morning. There's an ongoing struggle. There are some people who refuse to submit to Jesus and his word. But we can see that this church, and hopefully we're like them today, they loved the truth, even though there's this struggle going on and this pressure going on. And it mentions in that verse that some of the Jewish people did not always love the truth. There are those today and in their day who have hard hearts, who consistently hear the word of God and reject it. 
Verses 15 through 16 in 1 Thessalonians 2 continue talking about this and the resistance in particular from some of the Jewish leaders. So verses 15 through 16 of 1 Thessalonians 2. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the, the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. We know from the New Testament that many of the Jewish people rejected Jesus, and Paul was one of these people. He was part of the Jewish leaders that rejected Jesus. They killed Jesus, and they killed Christians. And many times throughout the history of Israel, the Jewish people had killed the prophets that were sent to them. And there will always be those who don't want to hear God's word. They want to do things their way. Even in a religious setting, even in a church setting, we can set up ourselves as kings when there is only one king. And the reason that the Jewish people hated some of the Christians and hated followers of Jesus is because really they hated those who loved the truth. And if we love the truth and we follow it, there will be people who hate us too. But I did want to mention that not all of the Jewish people hated Jesus or hated Christians. They believed that up to a third of the Jewish people could have become Christians. And of course, we know all of the early Christians, all of the original Christians were Jewish, former Jewish uh, believers who became Christian. It, it's not until about Acts 10 that it actually becomes open to Gentiles. So we know that all of the early believers were Jewish. Many of the Jewish people did receive Jesus, but the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ruling class, those who had influence and leadership in the nation of Israel as a nation, they rejected him. We know that Paul loved the Jewish people. Everywhere he went, he went to the synagogues first. And Paul talked about how he was saddened by their rejection of the truth. Many of the Jewish people tried to stop them and to put them in prison. A lot of the Jewish people actually thought they were serving God in doing this. They thought that they were doing the right thing. Paul thought he was serving God in taking men and women to prison and torture. But as Paul says in verse 15, as they're doing this persecution, they were not pleasing God. They were displeasing God. And it says in verse 15, something very strong. It says that they were actually opposing all mankind. Now, why would he say that the Jewish people were opposing all mankind? It's kind of an interesting way to put it. But he, he kind of explains it there. He says the reason they were opposing all mankind is they did not want the Gentiles to come to salvation. So who, who are the Gentiles? That's everyone else. That's the rest of the world, anybody who's not Jewish. So they stood in the way of the gospel going into all the world. They wanted, in a way, to be the only nation that had a special relationship with God. So many of the Jewish people, not all of them, but some of them hated the Gentiles. And this is one of the reasons why they hated Paul. Paul was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. He was eating with the Gentiles, talking to the Gentiles, telling the Gentiles that they could have a relationship with God, which previously was impossible. So the Jews rejected the message as a nation, 
the Thessalonians in this church, we see they accept the message as the word of God. They received it. They applied it. They lived it out. And in our lives and in the world today, people are, are faced with the same choice. Will we love the truth or will we hate the truth? We all have family members who have decided that they hate the truth, that they don't want to follow God's word, that they think that they know better than everyone else. They don't want to submit to what it has to say about the way they should live their lives. So what will you do when pressure comes from those family members? What will you do when pressure comes from your coworkers? Will you love the truth and will you live the truth? The end of that last verse that we read, verse 16, it mentions the wrath of God. Isn't it fun to talk about the wrath of God? Anytime it talks about the wrath of God, I feel like I should talk about it longer because some people don't want to talk about it. So we'll talk about the wrath of God uh, just for a little bit before we go enjoy our night. So obviously the wrath of God is a very real part of the New Testament. It's not just in the Old Testament. It's all throughout the New Testament. Um, people say that Jesus was just this guy who liked to give hugs and liked to, you know, have tickle fights and, and who knows what image they've created of God in their mind. Jesus is loving, he is kind, he's merciful, and he is also a God of justice. There's nobody who sees somebody do something wrong on the news and think, well, you know, maybe we could just give them a break this time. Everybody loves justice, and we want a God of justice. And anytime people say, well, Jesus, he was kind and loving, right? He was just this nice guy who just uh, liked to give nothing but encouraging words. And I'm sure you guys realize that almost the entire doctrine of hell comes straight from Jesus. There's almost nobody who talks about it in the New Testament. About 90% of it comes straight from Jesus. So hell is a real place. There is a day of wrath coming, and there is a day of judgment coming. And it, God has anger towards sin. He doesn't have anger that's out of control. That doesn't mean he just loses his cool and is just blowing some steam and going to send somebody to hell. But God's, God, it says that God is slow to anger. And that's why the wrath of God is so scary, because it's intentional, slow-building, righteous anger towards sin. And it says that in verse 16, that his, his wrath slowly builds up until the measure of it is full. Romans 9.22 says this another way. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So God's judgment is actually preceded by much patience. So we can't question God in the way that he chooses to do things. And when we see God's wrath, we see the holiness of God, an attribute of God, that he cannot be around sin. He is perfect. He, he can't be neutral towards sin. He can't just say, oh, that's okay if you live this way. That's okay if you kill someone. That's okay if you steal. It's okay if you marry whoever you want. God cannot be around sin, and God's wrath is coming for those who knowingly reject the truth and love their sin. And wrath is coming for anybody in the history of the world or today who decides to stand against the Lord 
and his people. Thankfully, as Christians today, Jesus took the wrath that we deserved on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserve. So we never have to endure the punishment that we should receive that is coming to those who decide to hate God and what he has to say to them. Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus tonight that covers our sin? We do see in the Bible that one day Israel will be saved and many of them will acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior and we look forward to that day. In the next couple of verses, Paul encourages this young church in the closing words that we're going to look at tonight. We'll look at four more verses. This is in verse 17 and 18. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So there's a separation between Paul and the people in this church. And when we are separated from the family of God, even if we're away from church for a season, there should be a longing. There should be a, a sense of separation that we're feeling. That's why we come to church every week. If I miss a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or in Japan, any night we have, I feel like I'm missing out on something. I don't want there to be any separation between me and the family of God. And that's the mark of true believers, that we want to be in God's house. We want to be with his people. It's not a chore to come out on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. This is the Lord's Day. We're happy to do it. During coronavirus, we kind of had a short period where we had to be away from physically meeting in church. And that was really, really difficult. And for those of us who had to do that for a few Sundays, I think we all came to the realization that we, we are not doing that Again, that we love to be with his people and we love to gather together. We need the encouragement. We need to be built up spiritually. Christ has united our hearts together. It says in, at the end of that verse, again, something interesting, that Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. So what, what does that mean, that Satan hindered us? First of all, Satan is not in control. God is in control. Amen? That's a good thing, right? God is in control. But there are spirits and principalities that God allows to have limited influence in our world. In this case, Paul wanted to visit this church, but he couldn't. It says Satan hindered us. So whatever power Satan has is limited or in some cases allowed by God. We see this with Job in the Bible. If you read the book of Job, it was God that allowed Satan to touch Job. God gave him permission for a short time to do that. Satan didn't have any authority at all unless God allowed it. But why does he do that? Well, one of the reasons he does that is so that he can display his glory for his purposes in somebody's life. And he definitely did that in Job's life, right? No matter what happened, no matter what Satan threw at him, he would not back down and he believed in God's word and was faithful uh, to what uh, God had done in, in his heart and in his life and in his life. But in this passage, Paul couldn't visit the church because Satan hindered him. And as a result, because Paul could not visit this church, we have this letter to the church today. He was supposed to visit this church, but couldn't. Instead, he wrote a letter. So now we have this eternal peace of the word of God because Satan's plans 
did not come to pass. He thought that he was really accomplishing something by stopping Paul from going to visit them. But instead, God said, you know what, I've got the last laugh. And Satan is going to wish that he had let him visit this church so that we would not have this letter that we could be hearing today in 2024. Aren't you guys glad that his ways, his knowledge, his plans are so far above and beyond anything that we could even ask or think? It says in the Bible that the wisdom, the foolishness of God is better than the wisdom of man. The foolishness of God is better than the wisdom of man. We're going to finish, finish this passage in verses 19 through 20. And again, where Paul is going to commend this church for standing in the truth. So 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Jesus is coming back. Amen? That's what this verse says. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a glorious church. And it's okay to boast. It's okay to boast in what the Lord has done in your life. It's okay to boast in what he's doing around the world. It's okay to boast through what he's doing through Christ as King Church. God is moving in the world. And when we look at what he is doing, that is what brings us joy and hope. It is our crown and our joy. And it's clear from this verse that Paul and his relationships with the church that he finds deep joy in the church. And so this, tonight, if I can encourage us just to have a deeper love for the church this year, to be more committed to the church, that we find our satisfaction not in ourselves, but in seeing what God is doing in the lives of the people around us. We can boast in the work that God is doing. And as the kingdom of God is established in our hearts, in our families, hearts and in their lives, we can boast in what God is doing. And I love this passage because this church was not ashamed of the truth, even though they faced pressure, they faced resistance, they faced persecution, they received the truth of the word of God. For us today, it's much easier. We're not facing the same level of persecution and pressure. So the question tonight is, will we receive the word of God? Or are we too modern? Are we too smart to follow God's word? Are our lives too busy to read it, to reread it, and to make our life an exact copy of God's word? Just as in their day, there will be people who try to stop us, but Jesus will build his kingdom. He will build it in San Antonio, and he will build it as he did in this church in Thessalonica, and he will build it in Japan, even though it's a very difficult country. He will build it around the world. And as we proclaim the word of God, as we believe the word of God, the kingdom of God will continue to advance and to go forward. It will advance in your workplace, in your family, as we believe it, as we trust it, as we believe that it has power and authority in our lives. Aren't you guys glad that we don't serve a weak God? We, full, we serve a God who has all authority and all power, and he is reigning and he is building his kingdom and every day that we walk that we wake up we can wake up in confidence knowing that Jesus has already won the victory when did he win the victory on the cross when he shed his blood for us he accomplished all the deeds of redemption that needed to be accomplished and because of that we can boldly proclaim 
that Christ is king. So let's remember that and have confidence as we go out this week. Let's receive the word of God and share it. We'll close in in prayer and then hand it back to Pastor Matt. Lord Jesus, help us to love your word and to live your word. And no matter what happens, help us to stand firm on your truth. Uh, You are perfect. You are amazing. And we trust that what you wrote and what you have given us is exactly what we need, that you are establishing the kingdom. You are moving on the earth. And we want to go all in on your word. No matter what happens, we will do or die based on your word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would establish your word in our hearts and lives in a supernatural way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.